Thanks, Todd. All right, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. If this is new for you, uh, if you're a visitor, we appreciate that. Hope that uh, you'll leave with something that you thought that was helpful. That's our hope, anyway. Um, let me just turn your attention to Luke chapter 19. That's where we're going to be this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go there. Uh, we're in our series again on the virtues, Christian virtues that have shaped our history as a denomination of churches, things that we want to grow in, that we don't want to lose, um, character qualities that the Lord grows in us as we draw near to Him. So we've been going through a number of those um, today, our focus is going to be on the Christian virtue of generosity. Generosity with our time, with our money, our possessions, is a trait that springs from knowing and embracing the good news about Jesus Christ and God's generosity to us. And so that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Our passage is Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is the beloved story of Zacchaeus, memorialized in the children's song. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Does anybody learn that one when they were kids? I hope that wasn't the first time. <clears throat> it's not just a story for children's ministry. It's actually a beautiful illustration of one of the ways the gospel changes our lives. So let's read Luke 19, 1 to 10, and then we're going to ask for the Lord's blessing on the preaching of His Word. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which, as you say in Deuteronomy, is no idle word for us. Indeed, it is our life. And we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit, by whom we can understand these things. For apart from him opening our eyes, we we read our own things into this. We miss the point. It's just words on a page. But you, because you love us, have given us the Spirit to make things clear to us. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to open our hearts and minds again 
that we might see the beauty of this passage and all that you intend for us in it, and that we might be transformed. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, who purchased all this mercy for us. In his name, amen. Let me dispel any fears you might have about where this sermon is going. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you to give the half of your goods to the church. (laughs) Or to repay fourfold anything that you feel bad about not having given to the church at some point in the past. Uh, This isn't just a mere setup to get you to give money to the church. However... (laughs) Giving financially to a local church is a biblical expectation that God has for His people, for believers. So it could be that before we're done this morning, that would be an area where the Lord puts His finger on in your life and says, is your giving consistent with what I intend for you? Well, that's up to Him to make that uh, conviction in your heart. This message is not just about church giving. It's about generosity, and generosity is bigger than just money that you're sending to a church once a week. It's about an attitude. It's about a way of life. It's an impulse that drives what we do with our resources and why we do it. The generic definition for the word generous is a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. Some synonyms are lavish, open-handed, unselfish, ungrudging. And what we'll see as we consider our passage this morning is that an encounter with Jesus in a saving way turns you into a generous person. You become ready to do more than is strictly necessary or expected of you for other people. We become open-handed and ungrudging with our resources. So let's turn our attention to Luke 19 and begin with that. Let's start with the example that's here of Jesus' generosity. That's where it all begins. Jesus is generous to us. Here's where this chapter falls in the storyline of his earthly ministry, Jesus is on his way at this point to go down to Jerusalem. He's not far away now from that week of the Passover and the Last Supper that we just talked about in communion. He's going down to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be arrested, mocked and tried, scorned and crucified. And he's going to do that to bear the blame and the punishment for sinners. The sinless one was going to Jerusalem to bear the guilt of our sin. The righteous one will die for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. That's what Jesus is going to Jerusalem for. He's fully aware of it. So everything he does on the way there is intentional, and it's recorded for us because it's important. So on his way, he's going uh, to Jerusalem. He goes through a town called Jericho where he encounters a man named Zacchaeus. Now, what kind of a guy is Zacchaeus? Uh, Let's put ourselves into the scene and let's observe some things here. 
when Jesus goes into any town, there's always a crowd that forms because here's this miracle worker, this healer, this preacher. He's causing a lot of big stir everywhere. So there's a crowd always that wants to gather around Jesus. Well, Zacchaeus is one of these guys. He wants to find out more. He wants to know who this is. And, and uh, I've heard about him. Well, let me go see. But he's short. <laughs> so he's small of stature. That's where the wee little man comes in. But he's also got a social problem, which is that he pretty much is hated by everybody. So nobody's either making any room for him either, which is why he's up in a tree to see Jesus. The animosity towards Zacchaeus is because he is a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, here's why that combination was a problem for most people. First of all, Zacchaeus is a fellow Jew. His name is Jewish. Uh, Jesus even later says he's a son of Abraham, he's a real Israelite, so nobody hates him for that. He's, he's one of them, right? But his job is to collect taxes on all the goods of his fellow Jews, money that goes to the Romans who rule them and often oppress them. So uh, Zacchaeus is working for the bad guys. Uh, he's aiding and abetting the misery of his fellow Jews by siding with the Roman occupying uh, army and the force. He's gotten rich by doing it. Because the way tax collecting worked was the tax collector gives a fixed amount to the Romans that's agreed upon in advance, and anything he collects beyond that goes to him, goes to the tax collector. So this is a system that rewards greed. You know, as soon as the Romans get their cut, everything I charge after that goes to me, right? And if it's more than I should, it doesn't matter because the Romans are behind me. You can't do anything to me. I've got, I've got force <laughs> that allows me to do this. So it's like getting free money. I can just ask for whatever I want. I can fill my pockets. That's a way to get rich. And apparently Zacchaeus was very good at this because he's the chief tax collector. So think about Zacchaeus this way, to put it in a present-day setting. He's not just like the IRS agent, that unnamed person after you send your form in by Tuesday, by the way out there somewhere that you have a vague dislike for because they're part of this process that you do not like. He is, that's not what Zacchaeus is. He's actually more like this. He would be a guy who professes to be a Christian, who owns the apartment building where you live, and who raises your rent whenever he feels like it, with no regard to whether you can afford it or not. And that hurts, because this is supposed to be a brother in the Lord. And you're like making your money off of me. You're supposed to be for me. You're supposed to care. You're supposed to make it possible for me to live here, but all you're caring about is getting your money, you know? Or it's like the, the person who professes to be a Christian employer, and they pay you basically nothing, but their business is doing great. Like You can feel offense. It's not just that somebody's getting rich at your expense. It's the betrayal. You're supposed to be for me, and you're against me. You're making my life harder. That's why people hate Zacchaeus. 
And Jesus goes up to the, into his house eventually that day. And when he goes to his house, they all grumble. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. This is a sinner. This is a bad man. <laughs> Nobody should be going to Zacchaeus' house, especially not Jesus. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus does. He sees him in the tree, and he invites himself over for dinner and probably an overnight stay. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. He doesn't even wait for an invitation from Zacchaeus. He makes the invitation. He invites himself over. <laughs> I'm going to stay in your house today. He befriends this guy who's a sinner, who's a traitor to his own people, who selfishly took what's theirs for himself. Now, why would Jesus do that? Well, he answers that question for us in verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus is the kind of person that I'm going down to Jerusalem to die for. Whose sins I'm going to take the blame for and the punishment for. I came to save bad people. I came to save sinners, the people who deserve judgment for what they've done. That is the generosity of Jesus. That's His generosity to us. God the Son takes on human flesh for the express purpose of giving up His own life in our place and for our sins. We who deserve judgment instead receive forgiveness, welcome His loving presence in our lives, His inheritance of a, of a renewed world and us with those renewed bodies that we sang about this morning. We deserve judgment. What we get is eternal life because Jesus gave His life for us. That's generosity, extreme generosity. And we receive it simply by doing what Zacchaeus did, which was joyfully welcome Jesus into his home, into his life. By the end of the day, Jesus pronounced, today salvation has come to this house. Because he joyfully accepted Jesus into his life. So let me ask you, are you willing to identify yourself with Zacchaeus? Are, we, are you willing to admit you've done some bad stuff? You've said some bad things. You've taken pleasure and maybe benefited from evil things. If so, I've got good news for you. The Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and to save the likes of you and me. He came for the bad people, the sinful people. If you're a sinner, if you have a conscience, if you have a guilty conscience, you are the right kind of person to expect rescue from Jesus because that's who he came for. The one who doesn't receive those blessings from Jesus are the ones who feel like, I don't need it. I'm good. I'm righteous. No, you just admit, I'm unrighteous. I need the righteous one to come and rescue me. And he says, great. I'll come over to your house. <laughs> the 
That's his generosity. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Rich in spiritual and eternal blessings. That's his generosity. And all it takes to receive it is to do what Zacchaeus did and open yourself up to Jesus as Savior. You may have already done that, and if you have, then rejoice. I mean, he, he is glad to do it, like we learned in, in the communion. He is glad to do it. <laughs> we just humble ourselves. He's been open-handed to us, lavish, ungrudging in his grace and mercy. If you haven't welcomed Jesus, if you haven't trusted in him, why wait? Why not trust in him and begin enjoying his abundance, his abundant forgiveness? So we start with Jesus' generosity, and we had to do that because the generosity we're talking about this morning is not just generic readiness to give people more than what is strictly necessary or expected. Anybody could be generous in that way. Bill Gates is that way. He's given away tons of money to all sorts of things. You don't have to be religious. You don't have to be a Christian to be a generous person. But there's a, a specific kind of generosity that we're called to. The generosity of the Christian is a response to the generosity of Jesus. And we see that in the life of Zacchaeus. So let's look at Zacchaeus' generosity. Jesus invites himself over to his house. Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. Sometimes afterwards, the, the story feels kind of compressed when you read it, but some time went by. Sometimes afterwards, probably during a dinner, here's what happens. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, that's an amazing thing. Zacchaeus has been transformed. He has this reputation for taking advantage of others for personal gain, for being focused on his own comfort at the expense of others, but suddenly he does a 180 he resolves, I'm going to give my money away, and I'm going to repay the people that I've defrauded. The man who was self-focused has become compassionate toward the disadvantage and zealous for justice and righteousness. I'm going to give to the poor, and I'm going to make things right with anybody I've defrauded. And what he says he's going to do is generous. It is more than what is strictly necessary or expected. He's going to give half of his, up to half of his goods to the poor. So 50% of his net worth is going to go to the poor. And he's going to restore fourfold what he wrongfully charged people. No Old Testament law required him to go that far. He was, this was over-the-top stuff. Uh, the law of Moses does say in Deuteronomy 15, You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. So giving to the poor is an expectation, but it doesn't need to be 50% of your net worth. He's going way over. The law also said in Numbers 5, 7, 
concerning fraud, he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong. So that means you pay back what you took and you add another 20%. That was the expectation of the law. That's righteousness. What does Zacchaeus say he's going to do? I'm going to do fourfold. I'm going to go 300% extra. That's generosity. He's become generous. And after he says all that, that's when Jesus says, today, salvation has come to this house. How do we know that salvation has come to this house? Zacchaeus has become generous. <laughs> that's why we know Something big happened right now. He went from this money grabber to giving it all away. That means he's changed. This encounter with Jesus has made him a different person. And the way we know it is because he's given it all away. His whole attitude toward money and possessions is different. He became compassionate to those in need, zealous to do righteous things with his money out of joy in having Jesus in his life. So what happened there was Zacchaeus laid hold of the truth that's expressed in 2 Corinthians 5.15, which says, Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. No longer live for self, but for him. And the things he loves, like compassion towards the poor and zealous for righteousness. That's where my money and my time and my energy is going to go now. It's going to be into the things Jesus loves to do. That's how he knows salvation has come. Generosity is an actual observable sign of being saved. It's, the, it's, it's what flows from us when we really grab hold of His generosity to us. And so when we, get, when we get a hold of that, when we get a hold of His generosity, we want to be generous to other people in a similar way. We want people to experience something of what we've experienced from Him. So let me use an illustration. Uh, Todd mentioned the Rockies game. Okay, let's paint a different scenario. Let's say... One of you works for a corporation, and they give you 100 Rockies tickets, enough for everybody, free, like, you know, dear, here, have them. And let's say that they're like really good seats. They're not rock pile, where you can't see a, a center fielder catch a ball, because it's just, it's just, you just can't see it. So it's not those tickets. It's right behind home base. It's the whole section. Or maybe it's like right behind third base. Whatever you think your favorite and ideal spot is to watch the game, you got 100 tickets in that section, just free and clear. Here you go. So what are you going to do with those? Well, if you're, if you're Zac Zacchaeus 1.0, you're going to sell them all and make a whole bunch of money and just keep the two best seats or maybe one for you, right? But what if you're Zacchaeus 2.0? What if you are the new Zacchaeus? What are you going to do with those 100 tickets? You're going to start giving them away. 
right? You're going to give them to your friends. You're going to give them to your family. You're going to give them to friends of family. If you still haven't given them all away, you go down to King Supers and you start like just handing them out. Have a good day. Here's a free home base ticket, like, right? Because you want to spread the joy. You've been given freely, so we give freely. That's something that Jesus said to his disciples. Freely you received. Freely give. We share the joy of what we've received from God. We want people to experience it some way. That's what happens to our souls when we recognize the abundance we have in Christ. We adopt the practice, freely received, freely give. I've been, treat, I've been treated a certain way by God. I want to treat you that way. And that looks like generosity. Now, what does generosity look like for you and for me in 21st century? So let's talk about our generosity. We know what it looked like for Zacchaeus, but what about us? Well, it starts with the realization of what we just learned, that believers in Christ no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and was raised. That's a mental shift. It's the transformation. Jesus gave up His life for us and for our salvation so my orientation now is also to be like giving up for other people. I, I, my money and my possessions are not just for me anymore. Now they're for other people as well. I'm, I'm opening it up to, to you all. Un, Open-handed, ungrudging, ready to do more than's necessary or expected. We open our hearts, our homes, our wallets to bless other people in Jesus' name. So we become more like a pipeline instead of a bucket, right? I mean, all of your resources, consider that like water, your, your paycheck, and all this other stuff. It's like going into a bucket, right? But it just sits there if it's just for you. But if you're the pipeline, then all that starts to flow out towards other people. That's the mental shift that changes when we really grab hold of God's generosity to us through Christ, um, and so I just want you to show you that this is not just Zacchaeus, this kind of generosity. Let me point to a couple other examples. First, we have the woman who anointed Jesus with oil right around the same time frame that this Zacchaeus episode happened. Um, you can read about it in Matthew 26. When Jesus was in a house in Bethany, there was this woman who came to him broke this very expensive flask of ointment and anointed Jesus with it. And this flask is probably the most valuable thing she had. It was really worth a lot. And it was so much that the disciples were actually indignant that she did this. They said, why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. It was worth a large sum because she just poured it out all over Jesus in this act of love and devotion. From a purely human accounting standpoint, she was like burning a pile of $100 bills in front of their face. Like, what? Why? Why? Why waste that? That's what they were seeing, right? But Jesus didn't say, okay, you guys are right. That was pretty excessive. No, here's what he said in Matthew 26. Why do you trouble the woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
in pouring this ointment on my body, this very expensive, worth a large sum ointment, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Here's what he's saying. Not only does he not agree this was a waste, it wasn't a waste. He says, she has done a beautiful thing to me. He says, I'm going to make sure that everybody who hears about the gospel hears about her. Why? Because her generosity, her lavish devotion to Jesus is what it looks like when you embrace the gospel. When you are moved by Christ crucified for you. I want to connect her act of generosity to the good news of me coming to save from sin. I want you to see those two things. I'm gonna, I want generations to hear about her. And I have to say, when I left my job as a scientist, um, her example strengthened me to do it. Um, it, it put what we were about to do into a category. I was leaving this high-paying job, and we were literally going for broke. We were going we to not have any income for the next year. We were going to spend it all, all the savings, the whole deal, and no guarantee of a job afterwards. And, and I was thinking, all right, we're going for broke here. We're all in. And then I thought, oh, hey, we're not the first ones to do that. The woman with her expensive vial of ointment. That's what she did. And so as we were walking away from our financial security, I could feel the Savior saying, you've done a beautiful thing for me. And that helped me to say, okay, we can do this. This is the right path. And I believe it was. One more example, the Macedonian believers in 2 Corinthians 8. So Paul and some others were spearheading a collection for the believers in Jerusalem who were going through some hard times. They were persecuted. There was a famine. Word was getting out that they're really in trouble in Jerusalem. And so some of them are going around all the different churches that have been planted and taking up a collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And so he's in this, his letter to the, to the church of Corinth, and he's including them. He wants them to be a part of this. And he says, I'm going to show you an example of some other believers who are also involved in this. They're the Macedonians. Here's their example that he describes in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. I'm just going to read some excerpts. He said, The grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave beyond their means of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. There's so much in there, but let me just point out a couple key things. First of all, their giving is generous. It is not as we expected, <laughs> according to Paul. Giving something to the relief effort was expected, but not to the extent that they actually did, because they were dirt poor. 
It says they were in extreme poverty. They, they gave beyond their means. That means it came not, out of, not just out of their paycheck, but out of their savings. He called it a wealth of generosity. It was unforced. It was ungrudging. It was joyful. It was sacrificial. It was more than strictly necessary or expected. But why did they do it? Because they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The generosity of the Lord to them made them want to be generous to the saints in Jerusalem. It's the same principle we saw in Zacchaeus and the woman with the flask. Generosity springs from a heart that's transformed by Jesus. This is a good place to bring up the topic of tithing and giving to the local church and other worthy gospel causes. I've heard it said that because we're under grace, not the law, we don't have to tithe. A tithe means a tenth, and it was an expectation under the Old Testament law that, if you, that you'd give 10% of your income to the Lord, and that was brought to the temple, and it was to maintain the worship life of the community. The Levites who do all the serving, the temple itself, and everything that's required there. So they give 10%, they bring it to the temple, and that's for the worship life of the community. The New Testament equivalent of that would be the local church and the gospel ministry that happens there. It's where the worship life of our church is cultivated. It's something that needs to be funded. People, some people get their living off the gospel, so someone has to fund that. But what is the principle for giving to the church in the New Testament? Should 10% of your income go to the church? One argument is that the tithe doesn't apply to us because we're under grace, not law, so you don't have to give 10%. To the church. What's the answer to that? Well, here's the answer I give, which I think is from the Scripture. You're right. You don't have to give 10% to the church. Nobody talks about tithing after the Gospels, except in the letter of Hebrews, and that's just a backward look at the law. The tithe ceases to be the driving principle in the New Testament. But do you know what is the driving principle for giving in the New Testament? It's generosity. It's open-handedness. It's ungrudging readiness to do more than is strictly necessary or required. It's what Zacchaeus did and what the woman did and what the Macedonians did. None of them gave because they had to. They gave because they wanted to. They gave because they were affected by Jesus. Paul even says that what the Macedonians did was the grace of God at work in them. He's so saying, you want to give by grace? Okay, are you ready to be a Macedonian? <laughs> because that's what it leads to. If you want to be under grace, not the law, which we are, that doesn't lead to less than what the law said. It leads to more. And that's where I think the tithe still has relevance for us. If generosity in giving is more than what's necessary or expected, and the Old Testament law was 10%, that's what was expected and necessary, 
then generosity is probably not going to be less than that for most people. If you're in extreme poverty, we don't expect it. (laughs) Most of us are not in extreme poverty. Most of us have something to give, and 10% was, and still is, I think, a good benchmark of what generosity is. What's the alternative? How do we decide what's generous? Um, If I give 10 bucks once a month to the church, is that generous? It might feel generous, but if I've got 30 bucks that I spend on pizza that same day, that's probably not really that generous, right? We don't want to leave that up to ourselves. I think God has shown us 10% is a good place to, to, to gauge it by because it hurts a little bit. It's a good chunk. But you can also live on 90%. Most of us can. Bottom line, the driving principle for giving in the New Testament is generosity. And generosity doesn't ask, how much do I have to give? It asks, how much can I give in light of God's generosity to me? So let the generosity of Christ be your standard, not the tithe. And my guess is if you do that, you'll end up giving 10% or more because grace doesn't give less than what the law required. Now, before I close on that, this last point, let me make mention of one other way we can be generous to each other, and it's in the generosity of hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In the early church, having people into your homes was a common practice, partly because many of them were going through persecution and hard times, and you might not eat if you didn't have somebody invite you over. Contributing to the needs of the saints looked like practicing hospitality. That's how you cared for each other. Hospitality is the way that you bless each other and provide a setting for care and for encouragement. Having somebody over for dinner, lunch, coffee, whatever, dessert, just have them in your home as a beautiful expression of care and friendship. We shouldn't miss the fact that Zacchaeus' conversion happened over a meal with Jesus. And you look at the New Testament and the Gospels, meals are all over the place. People are in each other's houses all the time. And in Acts, they're in each other's houses all the time. It was just part of life. It was part of this culture of people who are grateful to God for His generosity to us through Jesus. Uh, But here's the thing. Hospitality costs time. It costs energy. It costs money. You're not charging at the door, right? You're, You're paying for this. Um, and you have to clean up when it's done, and all that. And there's just so many of that, so much of that. It's like I don't want to do it. <laughs> I just want to watch Netflix, you know. But what do we do as believers in Jesus who are pursuing the generosity of the Lord? We're going to say, okay, I'm going to make time. Tuesday night is going to be our time, or whatever. We're going to put that thing on the calendar. Or right after church on Sunday, I'm going to have my my house open for for guests, like. That's, that's when this has really gotten into our bloodstream, you know, how good God is to us. Uh, we can do the hard thing of having hospitality, and you'll find that it pays you back. You'll find that it's, it's rewarding for you. And that's the last thing I want to close on, is generosity's reward. There's actually a lot of encouragement in the Scripture for us to be this way. 
Um, and let me just point out uh, one or two places for this, that there's reward for your sacrifices of time, money, possessions, as you're showing compassion, as you're pursuing righteousness. God's made promises, one of which is 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 10. So this is to the Corinthian church again. And Paul says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Again, there's a lot in that. But here's the promise to the church as they exercise generosity. God is the supplier of the seed. They're the sowers of the seed. He will see to it that as they're sowing, He will keep supplying more seed. All of that is in the context of giving relief money to the church in Jerusalem. So we're talking about money here. We're talking about giving away money and possessions. That's what the seed is. The seed is the financial support of the saints. So here's the principle reworded. God provides your money. You give your money away. He will see to it that as you're generous with that money in every good work, He keep providing more for you to give. That takes away the biggest reason that we have for not being generous. We don't think we'll have enough for ourselves. But the Lord says, don't worry about that. He is able to make grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency at all times to abound in every good work. Or as Jesus said in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, that doesn't mean that you get a $100 check in the mail for every $100 that you give. Like, I've never seen it yet where money mysteriously appears in my bank account when I do the auto uh, deposit into the Sovereign Grace Church account. Like, I don't autom- the next day, I don't see that same money, right? <laughs> that doesn't, it's not, that's not the way this works. But the Scripture is, too, is true. It's telling us something real. You won't go without anything essential in your life as a result of giving. You won't. I haven't. Uh, so now how long? So I've been a Christian since 80, 1980. So we're going on 43 years here. And during that time, I've given like a little, sometimes a lot for, for a while, nothing. Um, but most of the time, quite a bit. And we are still alive. We have cars, we're eating. God has provided everything that's essential for every good work. And we haven't gone without because of the giving. I think that's His promise at work. He's saying, I'm going to take care of you. You won't have everything you want. You will go without some things. But you can do it joyfully. And you'll find out you don't need those things. But he's going to supply the seed. As you're sowing it, he's going to keep supplying everything you need for every good work. That's his promise. That frees us up to, to be generous. Let's close with this. 
gospel people are generous people because we know the Lord has been generous to us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. If God has sent his son to die on a cross for you, to save your life, to give you an eternal inheritance, do you think he won't also give you the other stuff you need right now? He's already done the big thing, the big hard thing. He's going to be there for you in the little things. And so we can trust Him. We can be generous. We can dish out what He's dishing in. And we'll be like Him when we're doing that. And people will be blessed. And we get to be a part of it. The Lord's not like Zacchaeus 1.0. The one who takes advantage of us doesn't care about how we're doing. He's, he's more like Zacchaeus 2.0. Generous, open-handed, ungrudging, and ready to give us what we need. So, freely we have received, freely give with our lives, with our time, our money, our energy, in all the ways that God makes available to us. And we'll see that He's faithful. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for the inexpressible gift of Jesus Christ to us. The promises of your presence in our life, your care, your wisdom, your leading. No, we don't have everything we want, but you're training us. You're weaning us off of all kinds of things that we don't have to have. And you're changing us to make us more full of joy like you are. You are our great treasure. You're our great reward. And we thank you for that. And help us, Lord, to, to believe it, to trust in it, and to just find the joy also of participating in your great mission to bring life to people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response.